see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box, and we're still at the Barrick, the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Hi, Rayhat. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here with Steve today. And we are here with Deanne. Yep. I got it yeah. right. Yes. And Deanne has been, Deanne works here. And I she, did. And she's been one of our joyful, she's been putting up with Rhea and I all day as we get in the way as she works on this exhibit that they're opening. Yeah, everybody's been frantically running around and um, Steve and I have been trying to stay out of the way and we've noticed that you're putting in quite a bit of work and effort and can you tell us um, a little bit about yourself and and what you do at the Barrick? Sure, um, I mean my title is communication specialist. I do a number of other things as well. So communication specialist, I, I do things like um, handle the social media and the press releases uh, and different things like that. Um, but I also do some curation. I run around with tables, as you got to see this morning. Yes. Um, that's because I was one of the in-house curators of the um, Am I Your Type exhibition, and we were just finishing up a couple of things there. So I was trying to clear away the tables before people actually turned up to see the show. And I do, I do sort of a variety of other things, whatever needs doing really. So how did you end up at the Barrick Museum? I hear your accent. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Yeah, well I, I come from Melbourne. My husband's American, so we came to the United States because of that. Uh, he'd spent some time in Australia, so I thought it was only fair if I came and spent some time here in return. Um, so we landed here and he uh, had worked in Las Vegas before, and this was where he was able to find work again. And that's how we ended up in this city. And uh, I volunteered at the Barrack and uh, from there um, became employed here. Just started doing things and was apparently useful enough to, to actually get hired on. That's excellent. Volunteer work turning into paid work. That's yeah. always a good thing. Well, that I mean, that was about a decade ago when they were just uh, when we were just changing over to a, a, an art museum. So there was space there for that to happen. I mean, there's unfortunately not that kind of space here now because everybody is is already employed. But then everything was extremely fluid, uh, including the employee base. Nobody was quite sure. I think what exactly needed to be done because again everything was new and luckily the skills that some of us had were the skills the museum ended up needing. And I'd like to say but I'm probably wrong maybe social media was in a little bit more of its infancy then? 
Yeah, we didn't really have a social media presence at that point. That's uh, been a thing over the, the past couple of years. It was a really conscious decision, sort of, all right, we, we need to start updating the Instagram more regularly. Um, Deanne, would you like to do that? So I, I ended up doing that. Focus on the Twitter a bit more, update the Facebook a bit more, that kind of thing. Um, Instagram, social media-wise, Instagram is probably the thing we focus on the most. But we do have, say, events on Facebook that we, we keep up to date and we do post notes on Twitter. I mean, the different channels have different uses, really. Um, Facebook has been useful for announcing thing and things and letting the community know, you know, the exhibition is going to open on X date or we have a workshop on Saturday or something like that. When it comes to, say, installing, which is what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, Instagram stories, because the stories only last for 24 hours, it's very useful for just giving little updates like, hey, look, we're sticking uh, some vinyl up. You know, hey, look, have you wondered what it looks like to actually process a, a, a label? Well, here's a quick snap of somebody doing a label. Here's a quick snap of somebody rubbing some wool vinyl onto the wall to make it stick, that kind of thing. So things that you don't want to be there forever. So that's why they're not Twitter posts or Facebook updates, because then it stays and stays and stays. But if it's an Instagram story, it, it works really well as just a look, this is what's happening in the moment but you probably don't need to know about this two days from now, from now, because it's not that rivetingly exciting. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I sort of find it fun to have behind the scenes glimpses into other institutions. And uh, I've had, we've had a bit of feedback that suggests that people enjoy seeing that here too, which is sort of why we do it. Yeah, I can say Steve and I were able to participate a little bit in that behind the scenes. And to us, that was quite interesting and an experience. So I can see how your viewers would like to see that as well and kind of keeps their interest, right? That it's coming I hope up. So. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, it does function. I hope it. And you were on there. Yeah, I yeah. had that snap over your shoulder of you doing some vinyl. And, you know, Rayette, did you see over the weekend, like Rayette brought us the, I forget the tag I put on it, but it was something like Rayette Martin brought us guides, land art guides, and, yeah. and your hands moving those, those sheets of paper around. Yeah, I mean, I hope it functions not only as something to be interested in the moment but also as a, to keep people's interest while we're closed for the install because we are aware it's quite a long period of time to be closed and we do want to reassure people that you know we haven't gone to sleep <laughs> on you, the floor yeah, can you tell us how long it's closed between your previous showing and and the new install it was on this occasion it was just over a month it's usually not quite that long you know, maybe maybe a month might be as long as we, we might stay closed, but this one I think we closed on the 28th of January and we've just reopened on the 14th of March. Yeah. So that's a long closure. Now, what did that do to your hits on your social media? The, oh, they go down. Know, they go down? <laughs> Which, you know, we have to live with. There's also not as much to post. So normally on Instagram, I'd be doing, you know, multiple stories per week uh, in the main feed. I'd be doing, say, trying to post at least four times, hopefully five times in the main feed per week with the stories as well. And But if we're closed, I mean, there's not 
always that much to say besides we're going to reopen, we're going to reopen. And you, you can't really post that every single weekday. No. People would, would get very bored. I assume they'd get bored. So there's there's been fewer posts over the past month as well. But now that we're about to reopen, I'm expecting that we will go back to hopefully every weekday we'll have a post. Probably something that will say, look, this is what one of our current artworks looks like. Or since the opening is going to happen on the 24th, they'll... I'm working on the text for that, so pretty soon there should be a post on the main feed of the Instagram saying, hey, by the way, please come on the evening of the 24th. And then there'll be, you know, other events associated with the exhibitions after that. I know that the UNLV's MFA art students, not not part of what's happening here, but they're going to be giving talks about their work, which has been showing over at the Donna Beam Gallery on campus. So we'll possibly pop something up saying, hey, if you want to come and listen to some MFA artists talk about their work. So in other words, there'll they'll be more. It'll be more active and hopefully, to answer your question, our hits will start to go back up a little bit. Yeah. So do you find that too many posts bring diminishing returns? Not in my experience. I usually don't do multiple main feed posts per day because I, I'm afraid that will start to be a bit off-putting. So usually I space them out like one per day, per day, per day. As far as I can see, what usually makes the amount of engagement go up is if you post something that people are familiar with. So in other words, if I post, you know, um, something about, say, Justin Favela uh, or Brent Holmes, which are, you know, very popular names, very, you know, lovely local people that a lot of people here know, that will drive engagement. So I, I find that usually does it rather than trying to work out the algorithm or trying to over or under post or things like that. It seems to be more often just the subject to the post itself. If it's something unfamiliar, people often won't engage with it. That's my experience. Yeah, and I do the social media for Nevadans for Cultural Preservation. It's um, something where, yeah, you got to have something that they are comfortable with or recognize and that's usually the most engaging. Yeah, that, that recognition, I think, is such a big part of it. So, and, and like, yeah, hey, here your friend is doing something at the barrack and people go, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, or they're you know. sharing it and, and circulating it themselves for, that, for me. Totally, yeah. Okay, I make work out of things I, I I work with things that I find things like well, bottle caps at the moment, for example. Uh, I've been photographing found bottle caps. I have thousands of photographs of found bottle caps, and I, I pick them up sometimes. I cover them with tin foil, so I've also got thousands of small silver bottle caps with different squashed shapes because they usually do get crushed and distorted. So I'm assembling what's going to be a sort of a giant sculpture out of many, many, many. They're not going to be joined together, they're separate, but it will be like a carpet of glittering differently crushed bottle caps. I'm thinking of Alan McCollum's, uh, what's it called, 10,000 Things, I think it's called. But he creates individual, or what, 10,000 individual 
objects or something like this. But if if you look up his name, it's like many, many, many different objects that he's created himself, but he makes them out of parts that he can fit together. So each one is actually different. You can make this. He he creates this huge field of of things that are superficially similar in the same size, but they're each one is an individual. And I realized looking at bottle caps that because they all crush and squash differently depending on what happens to them in the environment they do that on their own they're each different and if i covered them with tin foil it, it takes away intervening factors like their color and whatever logo might be on them whatever brand so it's it's about the form it's about different forms it's not saying you know for example this coca-cola cap is different from this mountain dew cap it's about them having different physical details so that's that's one of the sort of things that i do when it comes to the photographs i'm still figuring out how to present them because again they're extremely different once you get actually down and you see the different environments that they're existing in you know some on gravel some on grass they each have a different presence and it's really just about looking at these very very useless things because once they're thrown away i mean nobody's going to pick them up and put them back on a bottle they're not useful as bottle caps they're not useful as anything they're in the environment but they're not attractive in the way that say a an insect might be. I know there are some artists who say photograph insects or look at flowers or twigs. Those things are still useful. There's still a, a function for them in the world. But bottle caps really know. So I, I was looking for very, very, very useless things that nobody wants to see and looking at them. And I, I make a number of other series of things too, but that's the main one that I'm working on at the moment. That is way cool. Right. I never would have thought of that and that's what makes it amazing can i ask why why bottle caps um or did you just tell me any any found bottle cap uh that the vast majority i've i mean they're from clark county the vast vast majority some in la when we go and look at say galleries or museums there i've got some nice ones from los angeles the light there is quite nice it's quite mellow on the bottle caps <laughs> and on the environment around the bottle caps which is sometimes you know slime and trash that's the other thing about doing this is bottle caps are often in discarded in fairly disgusting places like near dumpsters or semi-down gutters where there is sort of slime and, and junk there's often often other junk around them it sometimes smells horrible <laughs> i found a very smelly one the other day but really just just anything as long as it's been thrown away so i'm i'm not picky a lot of them are around the campus just because i'm often around the campus so campus bottle caps i guess that's one of the reasons I like being an archaeologist and being out and seeing things in the landscape and modern desert markings, being able to go to those, you know, historic land art pieces is you experience it, the smells, the sun, the wind, you know, all of those senses come into play when you're at those locations. And so being able to capture one of those senses being smell and, and put that with your whatever you're going to display, Steve. I'm not going to. I was, just, I was just thinking more for Deanne, you know. Yeah. Deanne now exhibiting at the Smithsonian Institutes and Institution scratch and sniff bottle caps. Oh. <laughs> Based on where they were located? <laughs> disgusting places. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be interesting, though. You know? yeah. Pure Clark County dumpster scent. <laughs> Inhale deeply. 
<laughs> oh man, we got those sewer smells that are unique here too. I think when it's really hot out and you go in certain parts of town, have you experienced? True. That? Yeah. yeah. Down, I do. I sometimes look for bottle caps downtown near the art district, and mm-hmm. you know there is there are some just open, empty ground that they're incredibly messy and they do stink sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Leave it to me to drag us into the stinky. <laughs> no, this is good. I'm wondering. I think I wonder if the problem would be trying to retain that scent for the mm-hmm. length of the entire exhibition. That's that's what I always wonder about those scented. You know, where you do open it up and you go, oh, this smells like a bighorn sheep or whatever mm-hmm. it, petrichor or whatever it is that it smells like. But it's not like say audio where you have it permanently recorded and it's always there. How do you keep the smell fresh and right. how do you keep it true? How do you stop it from changing Mm -hmm. i can imagine that being a real challenge so my idea is not totally stupid no no not at all i think i no. i mean i I think there have been smell exhibitions and i'm trying to think if i've ever been to one (laughs) and i don't think i have and i wonder if that difficulty is part of it again how do you retain a scent we had you've reminded me we did have um in our last lot of exhibitions we had one sort of pop pop it was a pop-up exhibition for about two weeks um but some local high school students had reacted to one of the pieces uh felix gonzalez torres's untitled la so they had each made sometimes they worked in groups so but there were a number of pieces back there made by them and they wanted one group wanted the smell of cookies um, with their piece, and they had a, a, a scent dispense. It was a vital what do you call it oils. Where you essential put, oils. essential oils are vital, <laughs> but yeah, basically an essential oil scent dispenser. Which, when they brought it to us, we unfortunately couldn't use because it works by dispersing an oily mist mm-hmm. that you can't see into the air. But we had artworks. You know, this was in the gallery, so we said, look, we're very sorry, but we can't use this because it's going to spread this oily, cookie-scented mist all over everything. (laughs) So I suppose that would be the other challenge. Like, yes, you can create something in the air that smells, but is it going to have a bad effect on the other artworks? Is it going to get on you? Because if you've got, like, an exposed charcoal drawing... Yeah. And in the current shows, the type show, we do have two very large scrolls that have got charcoal drawings on them. And of course, an oily mist getting into contact with those, it'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'd have to go to the artist and say, we're so sorry. <laughs> we got cookie. We got cookie, <laughs> we got cookie smell all over your charcoal drawings. We have good news and bad news. <laughs> yeah. The good news is that your artwork smells delicious. <laughs> Bad news, it's ruined. <laughs> it's ruined, sorry. <laughs> Has anybody ever put like scented candles or something like that? Not to burn them, but just to have them in the area. I was just curious. I have a really strong sense of smell. And so that's really offensive to me. Anytime that there's like um, an artificially created smell, you know, um, they enhance things by, by putting that into candles and that kind of thing. Has anybody ever brought in something? that you know of along those lines? No, but I know what you're saying because our page, who I think you've also spoken to, is also very, I think, sensitive to scents, mm-hmm. um, which would have been another problem with those scent dispensers yeah. is people like yourself and her. I mean, of course, we don't want to repel you from the museum, <laughs> but if you're going to walk into a space and there's this going to be this kind of chemical attack on your head, that's awful, and we don't want that. Yeah. Which would be, I suppose, another thing to consider if, if we ever did want to do a scent exhibition is how do we do it 
in a way that's accessible for everybody without hurting some people. No, we haven't had a scented candle in there. I think you mentioned lighting it. We wouldn't be able to anyway because we can't have naked flame in there. Mm -mm. Again, because we have works on paper. It's like, okay, your works now smells of cookies and it's been partly on fire. So half of it's gone and what's left smells like food. Are you okay with that? (laughs) So yeah, lots of issues to deal with that we wouldn't have to if it was just, say, audio or video, which is relatively low-key, where your only problem is really, is it up too loud or or down too low? Uh, And has the technology actually broken down today or not? That kind of thing, which doesn't happen. But if it did, it would be terrible. When did you know that you were an artist? I think after I started working here and I was exposed more to... I mean, I studied art, making art, studio arts years ago, but didn't sort of pursue it as a practice. But after I came here and I I saw and I met more artists here, I started thinking, well, why not? Why shouldn't I make things? So I did start making things. We've The art bar over there helped quite a lot. We have an area at the museum called the art bar where we have uh, drawing materials and found objects and things like this that you can, that visitors can use to make things. And I started making things there. And that was, I think, what helped to guide me on to finding other things in the environment to make into artworks. And the things that I could see as I walked along Um, became the most obvious things to use. So that was sort of how I got into making things at the moment. Do you sell any of your art? Very, very occasionally. I I don't sort of put it up for sale mainly because I'm never sure what it's worth. You know, how do you price a thousand bottle caps covered with tinfoil? (laughs) I'm really not sure. Short answer, not often. So you're doing it for your soul, not, not for a living? Definitely not for a living, no. I'd I'd be homeless. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much for almost all artists. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I could see working in this museum, even Steve and I spending time in here with modern desert markings, being inspired and thinking of things maybe through a different lens and and just seeing the variety of, of perspectives and people bringing in different artworks i think is it's wonderful to have that inspiration and be around that yeah i think so too i hope that works it works that way for um visitors who come here that if if they've been thinking of making art they see something say in modern desert markings and they say oh i'd never thought that landscape art could be like that you know i thought i had to be able to paint with incredible skill and i can't do that but now that i've seen this show i realize that i could do x i could do y i could film myself in the landscape i could walk the landscape and that could be an artwork in itself i could uh write something about it and then read it the way that Marissa has. I mean, I think we always hope that our shows potentially have that kind of effect on people. And that's one reason why I think it's great that we're on a university campus, because I I assume that a lot of the the art students here are going to benefit from coming to a space like this and saying, oh, there's someone doing something I hadn't thought of, or I've been doing something that was sort of like this, and now I see how it could be better, or I was doing something like this, and now I see that what I was doing, it wasn't working for a reason. And now that I see this, I can make that change to make it work. All those different kinds of things. So apart from people just having pleasure looking at art, which I always do, I I hope that 
exhibitions like yours do have a, a practical effect, if you want to put it like that? Deanne, what's inspired you this week? This week, probably just working on the exhibitions because they've only just opened up. We haven't had that much time to, to do other things. So working on the exhibitions, seeing the work that's in Modern Desert Markings in particular because it's been brought in over the past couple of weeks, bit by bit, and finally seeing it all sort of fired up on the walls. You know, the videos all functioning. I'm turning that over in my mind. I mean, over the weekend, I also went around to the the local library galleries. I saw some nice work in Sahara West Library Gallery. I also went to the the opera students here. Had a production of Benjamin Britten's Turn of the Screw, which I'm not advertising for them because it's already over. It's gone. Um, but that was really great to see. Not just because I think it's always I I find not just the skill of singing for that long impressive in it. Well, I think that long. I mean that that you have people on stage doing something at a high level of performance for, in that case, two hours. And I I don't only enjoy the singing and the music, but I also think, all right, if they can focus on something like that for two hours, then I can do things too. You know, I can also focus. I can also sustain my focus for a long period of time. Of course, they, they kind of have to do it because they have an audience in front of them who is going to pick up on the fact that they don't do it if they don't. But sometimes I can think, well they can do this with an audience in front of them and to do that they have to think okay I'm doing that as if there's an audience in front of me because there is so maybe I can focus on something as if there's an audience in front of me even though there isn't because I can see that other people can do that too so I I find that demonstration of sustained focus very inspirational even though I'm not personally a singer to, to make work with that kind of commitment. Deanne, thank you very much. A pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to sit down and talk to us about your art and your role at the Barrick Museum. Thank thank you for your questions. That was great. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the art box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.